does not do public health. The line between disinformation and misinformation is not always an easy one to find. We shouldn't be trying to um, control communication, but rather flood the zone. I certainly seeing the value of communicating constantly on these issues so as to continue to, to deal with, uh, you know, sort of the vacuum that can be created in this circumstance. All of the disinformation that will be put out, it's going to be important to actually have a response to those questions. There are also uh, intelligence sources identifying multiple foreign disinformation campaigns. Governments need to be willing to do things that are out of their historical perspective or for the most part, it's it's really a, a war footing that we need to be on. It can happen quickly. A Marshall-type plan, that, you know, I don't mean to say that exactly, but a Marshall plan that can go into effect uh, and stimulate a change very quickly. The distrust relates to the health system more generally. A step up from the part of the government on enforcement action. In fake news. I think a couple of things we have to consider are even before this began, the anti-vaccine movement was very strong. And this is something specifically through social media that has spread. So as we move forward, obviously trust in pharmaceuticals and government is very important at this moment. The simulation is a simulation of a coronavirus that has escaped and ends up killing 60 million people around the planet. The Chinese government knew of the escape of the virus by September 12, 2019. Curiously, who is there is George Gayle who was the head of the Chinese CDC. At that time, George Gale almost certainly knew the coronavirus was circulating. Infected people got a respiratory illness with symptoms ranging from mild flu-like signs to severe pneumonia. The sickest required intensive care. Many died. It's spreading rapidly throughout local communities. International travel has turned local epidemics into a pandemic spanning the globe. There are now more than 30,000 reported cases. Experts warn this may be just the beginning of a global problem. More than half of the recognized cases have required hospital care, creating a huge strain on healthcare systems. The fatality rate is about 10%. Because it appears the virus is readily transmitted through the from person to person, essentially all people are are susceptible. Experts agree, unless it is quickly controlled, it could lead to a severe pandemic, an outbreak that circles the globe and affects people everywhere. Two to four times more lethal than the 1918 influenza pandemic, the worst pandemic on record. Even so, some people only exhibit mild flu-like symptoms, not requiring treatment in a hospital. Alarmingly, those people are able to walk around and spread the virus, not realizing they are doing so. Even worse, international travelers have been arriving at their destination symptom-free, but within a matter of hours, becoming ill. Travel-related cases have blossomed into outbreaks in a number of locations and have quickly grown faster than health authorities could respond and contain them. I'm joined by immunologist Dr. Yvonne Bello and Dr. Rhea Blakey, an epidemiologist, both highly respected in their fields. 
researchers are working on a vaccine. Even if we discover a good vaccine candidate, we're starting from scratch. And it takes time to test safety and efficacy. Typically years. You simply cannot rely on these old timelines and processes. With enough money and political will, anything is possible. Our U.S. affiliate has just released polling results on public expectations for a vaccine. A majority of Americans expect a vaccine to be available within two months, and 65% of those polled are eager to take the vaccine, even if it's experimental. In related news, a significant demand for personal protective equipment like N95 masks and gloves are on the rise due to the pandemic. However, globally, hospitals are running low. Additionally, other critical medical supplies such as saline and antibiotics are dwindling. Countries and companies are reportedly stockpiling supplies, disrupting healthcare supply chains, causing dangerous shortages in many parts of the world. What you just witnessed were highlights from Event 201. This pandemic simulation exercise of the coronavirus took place about six weeks before the first illness from the coronavirus was actually reported in Wuhan, China. Now, this simulation also includes news reports, which were fabricated just for this exercise. A SARS-like virus, which has infected hundreds in China, has now reached the United States. Some of the city's biggest employers ordering workers to stay home. We have already started at the NIH and with many of our collaborators on the developing of a vaccine. I wasn't necessarily surprised when um, we started to see him in the national limelight. At the beginning of the pandemic, we really didn't know what it was going to be like how to manage it, and how infectious the, the virus was. And therefore, a lockdown made sense just to buy a little time to figure out what we should do, what policies we should make, what things needed to be mobilized in order to reduce risk of the infection and actually keep the epidemic as, as limited as possible. In comes Tony Fauci, the savior of the West, uh, promoting these actions, lockdowns, masking, etc. I think many of my fellow Democrats see him as this kind of, particularly during the early COVID pandemic, as this kind of avuncular, um, soothing figure who was a reassuring counterbalance to Donald Trump's anti-science, narcissistic bombast. See if there's any way that you can apply light and heat to cure. But I'm like... A person that has a good, you know what. There was tremendous fear in our country that was orchestrated and generated by the press and by the medical cartel. When people get fearful, their capacity for critical thinking gets disabled. And the, you know, it's just a human inclination to look for reassurance and leadership from leadership authorities. This one that we looked up to at a time when we needed answers, at a time he has a cool, calm, you know, calmness to him, but very factual. It's called the Fauci effect. I mean, it's nice, but in an era of the normalization of untruths and lies, it's what I symbolize, consistency for integrity, for truth. My impression from him, because I had already been dealing with him 
for 17 years. And I had a, a skepticism about him because I knew that he was the architect of agency capture within the public health agencies. With the vaccine, as I use it, I say, you know, help is on the way. It certainly is. But the fact that help is on the way should spur us even more to double down on some of the public health measures, the physical distancing, the universal wearing of masking, the staying away from crowds throughout the country. But we all thought we were going to die, that this thing was going to sweep through and devastate all of us, which became used for lockdowns. It became weaponized as a rationale for massive infusion of fiat currency into the economy for causing people to no longer be able to go to work, etc., etc. It became apparent after a while that the lockdowns are counterproductive. And in many ways, COVID restrictions were worse than COVID itself. And so we kept getting news updates. Well, the swimming pool is now closed down. The gym is now... They use the, the, the sphere to create the justifications for implementation of all these abrogations of personal liberties and civil rights. So it's just as shutting down businesses and quite causing them to get bankrupt. Tech companies have benefited massively from pandemic policies that make no medical sense, such as lockdowns, such as not letting us shop in person, not letting us be educated in person, locking kids indoors. Amazon is up 20% net revenue in the last two years. Google is up 20 to 25% net revenue. Microsoft is up 20, 25% net revenue. Nintendo is up. All of them crafted or influenced lockdown policies that killed off human assembly, human commerce, human worship, human culture, and, and drove it all online. That it may oh, you know, that all the most rigorous scientific studies have found that masks don't prevent transmission of respiratory viruses. Masks have essentially no benefit. N95 was developed to protect construction workers from dust. Dust particles removed by those 95% effectively. Dust particles are thousands of times larger than COVID viruses, SARS-CoV-2, and, and it's like putting ping pong balls through a chain link fence. 95% of the time, they're just going to go straight through. Dr. Fauci started out by saying correctly, that masks don't do any good against respiratory viruses. He said it on 60 Minutes in, in, I think it was March of 2020. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a, a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And in saying that, for once, he was actually reflecting the scientific consensus, right? But then a couple months later, he completely flipped. Uh, the head of the Chinese CDC, George Gao, having said suddenly, everybody's got to wear a mask, right? Everybody in the West has got to wear a mask, as in China. Then Dr. Fauci uh, shifted. Masks are protective. If you look at, at, at children outside, particularly when they're with the family, uh, walking down the street, playing a game or what have you, don't have to wear a mask. The Academy of Pediatric actually makes that recommendation that children should be wearing masks uh, from two years old onward. I mean, I think I've got this right. One mask is better than zero masks. Two masks is better than one mask. But you don't have to have double masks. Is, is right. that right? I mean, <laughs> then a couple months later, the World Health Organization shifted because they, too, had said 
correctly that masks don't do anything against respiratory viruses. But then they flipped. A dispute over a mask led to a woman being tased by a cop at a middle school game. Of course, no, it should have never come to this. What is your right to refuse? And what is the law enforcement's ability to enforce? You have to have a mask on. Shoot me, people. No. going to shoot me for trying not to breathe. Cool. Come, cool. On, Come on, dude. And there is Barack Obama dancing mm-hmm. uh, unmasked. He's been talking about the need to get a vaccine and all the other stuff. I don't think he wants to break from the CDC. What's interesting is I haven't heard the CDC commenting about this yet. Masks are pretty magical and they don't have much downside. People with masks, they give up their individuality. They give up rights as free human beings. You become really, it's the beginning of slavery. African-American slaves in America, they, they wore masks. I have called the masks to be the symbolic equivalent of the yellow star that I had to wear. It's a sign that you are not free, that you are lesser. All of this is happening only because people obey. I think masking really was a symbolic uh, signal, not only of obedience, but also that we all should maintain constant fear and that we needed to stay away from each other, from relationships and community. During my childhood, there were duck and cover shells. Duck and cover, just as you do in your school. We all know the atomic bomb is very dangerous. You will know when it comes. We hope it never comes, but we must get ready. We were, we were constantly drilled in school about what would happen when the Russians attacked us with nuclear weapons. We had from the table. We had to put our, our head on the desk when we heard the, the alarm sounding. If you were paranoid, you might feel that the purpose of that drill was to maintain this level of, of what Bob McNamara later called mass psychosis, where you keep an entire population in fear by constantly reminding them that their lives are under attack. And I think, you know, one of the things that uh, disturbed me about the masking, what it was it was very reminiscent of that. If one wears a mask or one stays in a tiny room and fills up the room with virus and continues to rebreathe the virus, there is a real chance that one could make a mild illness more severe. Is called re-inoculation. We had gotten a call from Presbyterian Village saying one of the workers contracted COVID. And this was the characteristic pattern in 2020. Remember, the senior citizens in nursing homes, they weren't out and getting COVID. They were sitting ducks. They were already locked down. And in fact, a worker gave COVID to my dad. We were hearing stories of patients going in the hospital, being locked down in isolation, never seeing their loved ones again, and then dying in the hospital alone. We don't get to eat dinner with them. We don't get to sit with holidays for them. Memorial Day, Father's Day, Mother's Day. When COVID sort of broke out across the world, we started trying to learn as much as we could about the disease. You know, and we saw it 
break out in, uh, you know, in Wuhan and then Lombardy in Italy and then Seattle and New York. I know someone in every ICU in New York City. And um, it became pretty clear what their main sort of uh, mechanisms of disease were. They were hyperinflamed and they were clotting to a degree I've never seen before. Nurses were drawing blood. It was clotting in the syringe and it was clear they needed blood thinners. When SARS-CoV-2 came to the U.S., predominantly in New York City, uh, patients were getting really sick. They were being admitted to the ICU. They were put on ventilators. And we know the mortality at that time, if you were ventilated in an ICU in New York, was close to 90%. That I was seeing unprecedented mortality rates, and we had to do something. But the, the general conservatism of medicine uh, was that, no, because you might harm someone. It's hard to harm someone when they're dying at rates we've never seen. Them. They were clearly dying of undertreatment. Because of my efforts, were being blocked, and it was clear that I was not welcome. I resigned. What I did with my dad ultimately became the foundational principles of the McCullough Protocols. And the first thing I said is, open the windows. And why? Because we wanted ventilation. We wanted to reduce the viral density in the aerosol of the room. Fresh air was applied for centuries for other illnesses. Step two the uh, Indian Medical Society for doctors had already mandated hydroxychloroquine as a standard of care once a week prophylaxis. Zinc 50 milligrams a day had a supportive role. Vitamin D 5,000 international units. Vitamin C 3,000 milligrams a day. Quercetin 500 milligrams twice a day. By July of 2020, there had been nine studies of clinical trials, not randomized, of hydroxychloroquine, some by itself, some used with azithromycin, zinc, and, and so on. Every one of those studies showed benefit. The totality of those studies, all analyzed together, showed about a 50% reduced risk of hospitalization and a 75% reduced risk of mortality. Now, these studies are all studies of outpatients, people who get COVID and are treated within the first five or six days, or the starting treatment within the five or six days. It was a very clear set of data, about as clear as one could ever hope to get. And yet, Fauci's in the Oval Office saying this is a game changer. And next thing you know, everybody in the country is starting to give it. Supplies are starting to fill hospitals and they're all giving it. That the data shows that remdesivir has a clear-cut, significant, positive effect in diminishing the time to recover. This will be the standard of care. When I was looking at this data with our team the other night, it was reminiscent of 34 years ago in 1986 when we were struggling for drugs for HIV. And we did the first randomized placebo-controlled trial with AZT, which turned out to give an effect that was modest. But that was not the end game because building on that every year, we did better and better. There's a novel pathogen and Fauciism always dictates that for some strange reason you throw the most toxic drugs imaginable at it and you make one of them the kind of reigning king of treatment. Back then it was AZT, now with COVID it's remdesivir, with no feeling or regard or apprehension about the toxicity, while at the same time vilifying persecuting, creating a whole culture of disinformation about treatments 
that are older, like hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, that doctors in droves are saying is curing people, is getting people out of the hospital, is ending this sickness in a matter of days, if not hours. And I, I have to point out, I am severely troubled by the fact that the NIH, the FDA, and the CDC, I do not know of any task force that was assigned or compiled to review repurposed drugs in an attempt to treat this disease. Everything has been about novel and or expensive pharmaceutically engineered drugs, things like remdesivir and vaccines. The first time I got a call from Senator Johnson's chief of staff that I heard a, a, a U.S. senator wanted to talk to me because he'd come across our website, he'd come across our protocols. Ivermectin did not come into our protocol until much, much later. So it was October of 2020. Suddenly we started to see the trials around Ivermectin consistently positive in this very large magnitude. And it was coming from different centers and countries around the world. We were talking to doctors. Doctors were reaching out to us. And he was kind of inspired that he saw some doctors that were putting out treatment guidance when the government was doing nothing. My entry into the COVID arena, you can say, um, came about when I saw Pierre Corey's testimony to the state Senate in December 2020. I only saw it on the 26th of December. And I prepared a rapid review and submitted it to the UK authorities on, I think it was the 4th of January. I also sent it to colleagues at the World Health Organization and asked them to pass it on to the COVID team at WHO. And when I didn't get a response by the 7th of January, what's reasonable in, in a public health emergency, and that is to disseminate information in whatever means possible, um, and so I did a video appeal to the UK Prime Minister. Dear Prime Minister, my name is Dr. Tess Laurie, and I'm the Director of the Evidence-Based Medicine Consultancy in Bath. I have recently authored a report called Ivermectin for Preventing and Treating COVID-19, a rapid review to validate the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance's conclusions. The good news is that we now have solid evidence of an effective treatment for COVID-19. It is called Ivermectin. In connection with its findings, I sent an urgent correspondence to Mr. Hancock and other members of Parliament on Monday the 3rd of January. Unfortunately, I have not yet had a reply, and due to the urgent implications of the report, I'm trying to reach you via this video. Please may we start saving lives now. I was invited to give a lecture at an international conference on ivermectin. And on the third day, uh, Doctor named a, a, a PhD named Andrew Hill gave a lecture and said that he was from the WHO. And I reached out to him, and Andy and I became very fast and close colleagues. And he was as taken with the data as we were. I was introduced to Andrew Hill by Dr. Pierre Corey in that uh, first week of January. He had been working with Pierre Corey to present the evidence to the NIH that week. Pierce said, you know, you really must meet him. He's the WHO consultant working on ivermectin. And Andrew Hill agreed to be on the team with us. But then that weekend, his own review was published on a preprint server. Now, this was a great cause for concern because it was clearly rushed. It was very poor quality with, with all these, these obvious flaws. I emailed him and I said, Andrew... This is going to cause immeasurable harm. Please retract this review and let's talk. I can help you correct these errors.
I'm in a very sensitive position here. I, what I'm trying to do. Whose conclusions are those on the review that you've done? Who's not listed as an author who's actually contributed? Well, I mean, I don't really want to get into. I mean, it, the, I think the unit it, needs to be, it needs to be clear. I would like to know who well, who are these other voices that are in your paper that are not acknowledged. You would say that. Conclusions of the paper, yeah. So they have a say in, in your conclusions? Yeah. But the FDA regulations is predicated by the fact that there's no effective alternative therapy. So if ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine were declared uh, effective treatment for, for SARS-CoV-2, it would have invalidated the vaccine. The vaccines would not have been allowed to get an EUA. The suppression of early treatment through the press and through various government outlets, including the FDA, is a crime. We have a significant, unnecessary burden of loss of life due to the withholding of early treatments, including treatment with hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. It has caused unnecessary human death. We're so sort of hypnotized by those names, the New York Times, CNN. This is CNN. We're, we're mesmerized by that uh, based on their long records as widely recognized, authoritative, reputable news sources. There was that amazing uh, face-off between CNN and Joe Rogan when some of their lying heads had said that he was taking horse pace. You have individuals like Joe Rogan, for example, who uh, who don't want to take an experimental vaccine but will take horse dewormer. Rogan telling his 13 million Instagram followers that he was treated with several drugs, and he included ivermectin on the list, a drug used for livestock. Joe Rogan, uh, he came down with COVID. He says he's been taking the uh, livestock dewormer uh, ivermectin. That was a an attempt to take him down and to misrepresent ivermectin. And he fought back because that's in his nature. Does it bother you that the news network you work for out and out lied, well, just outright lied about me taking horse dewormer? Calling it a horse dewormer is not a flattering thing. I get it's that. It's a lie. It's a lie on a news network. You're working for a news station. If they're lying about a comedian taking horse medication, what are they telling us about Russia? What are they telling us about Syria? Do you, not, do you understand that that's why people get concerned about the veracity of the news? The reliability of the media. A recent poll that says it's almost at an all-time low. We should look at news sources that are out of this matrix of treachery because it's there in order to accept advertising and lobbying money from established Sources, which means it has to operate compliantly and in alliance with the government. So you're not going to get honest information from those sources. They kept saying ivermectin is a horse paste. Well, when he got it's of course, it's not. It's a it's kind of a miracle drug. And uh, they were even thinking it could cure cancer before COVID happened. And uh, then COVID happened and then they had to demonize it right away because it's cheap. Nobody can make money off ivermectin. It's a generic. And so the company that invented it, Burke, they can't make money off it because now anybody can make it. There is an alternative media. That is true. It is something that has emerged very suddenly and recently, right? 
Joe Rogan represents that. Uh, Jimmy Dore represents that. Uh, podcasters have basically filled the breach that's been left by the left press. There will always be some outlets, I think, that, that try to tell the awful truth. And we learned something else about COVID. One day the test is positive. The next day the test is negative. A week later the test is positive. A week later the test is negative. So is a PCR test not a good barometer either? Yeah, that is a very good question. It's pretty obvious if you look objectively at the data that the CDC is totally manipulating this pandemic. And they did it from day one. One of the most egregious examples of this is the test that they, the very test they use to diagnose a case or someone who's infected with the virus. There's The test was a PCR test and it amplifies the amount of they want to check for. Carrie Mullis was the inventor of PCR, not the inventor of the PCR test. There is no test for either AIDS or COVID. As Carrie Mullis said, it doesn't it finds what you tell it to find. And he always said that doesn't whether you're infected with anything, it doesn't tell you whether you're likely to get sick from anything, it doesn't tell you anything. And the overwhelming data about PCR tests and COVID shows that there's a shoddy, at best, correlation between positive PCR tests and disease outcomes. So why did they use PCR for COVID? I mean, how can people actually tell if they are contagious in the cycle of having COVID? How do you measure that if not with either a yeah. PCR test or an antigen test? And I think that's the, the understandable confusion that people have about testing. Testing saying whether you're infected or not versus are you infected plus transmissible. COVID began in China as a pneumonia. And for some reason we were reading in the papers that something like 53 people in Wuhan, China had some kind of novel pneumonia they hadn't seen before. And because I'm alert to propaganda, I. I got very anxious. Thought, why are we reading about pneumonias in China? We don't ever read about pneumonias in China. Why are we reading about these? In the first week in January, from Michael, he's a former DARPA project officer, and literally he is our top expert in gain-of-function research and has been so for years and years and has long been deep as one of our top biodefense slash biowarfare experts who was in Wuhan at the time in the first week in January. And he warned me, he said, Robert, you need to get your team spun up because we've got a problem. This coronavirus looks like it's going to be a major issue. And my question is, have you seen anything at this point that gives you a high degree of confidence that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was the origin of this virus? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. And I think that the world health organization should be ashamed of themselves. The Fauci emails themselves, as I understand it, it was involved in trying to cover up origins of COVID and trying to say it was a zoonotic origin and there's no way the lab leak uh, theory had any credence to it. At 2.47 in the early morning of February 1st, 2020, four hours after virologist Christian Anderson informed Dr. Fauci that he and other leading biologists believe that the genetic sequence was highly unlikely to be the product of natural selection. Dr. Anthony Fauci fired all carefully worded email to Kathleen. Dr. Fauci
Fauci's other emails from that evening suggest that he was intensely worried that the Chinese experiments that may have created this striation and the novel coronavirus would bear his fingerprints. I first heard about this amazing story concerning the use of burner phones by Jeremy Farrar, Tony Fauci, and Francis Collins right after the initiation of the outbreak from the memoir that Jeremy Farrar, who's the head of the Wellcome Trust, one of the largest sources of funding for British biotechnology and vaccine development. Why Farrar was in that loop, I infer is because he had some role in providing the funding to the Wuhan Laboratory Institute of Virology that had been involved in that research. He disclosed in his autobiography that he and Tony and Francis Collins had used burner phones to avoid any trail that would be able to document their conversations immediately after the initiation of the outbreak. And he spoke about that in the context of talking about their fears and collusion in trying to cover up what they knew about the work that had gone on at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The U.S. intelligence agencies now believe that the Chinese knew the virus had escaped from the Wuhan lab by September 12th. And it probably escaped sometime in late August, early September. But on September 12th, the military went into that lab at night and they changed the leadership of the lab. They took 22,000 coronavirus samples and removed them, and they've never been seen again. They removed mention of many of the gain-of-function studies from the public-facing websites. The intelligence agencies in the U.S. and Great Britain and Europe, they call the five eyes. The Western nations who all share intelligence with each other all had deep involvement, not only in funding these studies at the Wuhan lab, but also in the cover-up of protecting the, the countermeasures and, and protecting the Wuhan lab against nosy investigations. In August of 2020, I gave a speech to the Peace and Justice Rebellion in Berlin. Governments love pandemics. My estimated crowds were about a million democracy advocates. There were people from every nation in Europe and every color of the rainbow, and they came together to demand the return of their, their constitutional human rights. The only thing a government needs to make people into slaves is fear. Immediately after that, the German intelligence agencies and the British intelligence agencies announced that they were considering vaccine hesitancy a form of terrorism and that they were unleashing their cyber warfare arsenal on people in foreign countries who they consider vaccine hesitant. It's illegal for the CIA to spy on American citizens in this country, but the way that the CIA has always gotten around that stricture is by outsourcing the spine on U.S. citizens to the Five I nations like Great Britain and Germany with whom they share the intelligence. So they don't have to spy on, you know, us. They can get the Brits and the Germans to do it, and then they can get the intelligence that way. And 
it's disturbing that um, you know that people who are simply questioning government policies, important government policies that affect the health and well-being of of millions and millions of American children and adults, are treated as enemies of the state. Is this very famous uh, French uh, microbiologist uh, and clinician Didier Raoult, who actually published, you know, some of the earliest data showing the effectiveness of hydroxychloroquine? Uh, hydroxychloroquine is effective against the multiplication of four different species of coronavirus uh, in cells. Uh, that may be a very good uh, candidate to treat the patients. Important that not only it works on patients, but also that uh, there was a clearance of the virus in four days. But again, you know, this was going against the narrative. Previously, hydroxychloroquine was available over the counter in France to, to censor him and silence him. This was removed from over the counter. Propaganda always entails censorship. It must, because propaganda, again, does not seek to persuade. It seeks to push you, uh, to jolt you into a particular point of view. So it doesn't try to make arguments. It, it doesn't uh, try to make a reasonable case. It, it doesn't use reason at all, actually. It tends to be a kind of almost neurological manipulation. Now, because propaganda doesn't tolerate argument, it always entails extremely rigorous censorship of the counter-narrative. It must be vilified, it must be condemned, it must be blacked out. Will you provide a list of every website and hashtag that Facebook content moderation teams have discussed banning on the task platform? I would be happy to follow up with you or your team uh, to discuss further how we might move forward on that. But Will you commit to providing the information you have logged on the task website about content moderation that your company has undertaken? Yes or no? Senator, I think it would be better to, to follow up once I've had a chance to discuss with my team what any sensitivity around that would be. We could, of course, subpoena this information, but I'd much rather get it from you voluntarily. But I think let everybody take note that, that Mr. Zuckerberg has now repeatedly refused to provide information that he knows that he has and has now acknowledged. Just to clear up one point, I mean, my understanding is that these vaccines do not modify your DNA or, or RNA. Um, so, so I think that that's, that's just an important point to, to clarify. If I'm getting anything yeah. wrong here, of course, correct me, but, um, but, but just to, to make that clear. I'm sure some caution on this because um, we just don't